I'm Earl at thelogbook.com, and I'm here to tell you the logbook has a new Patronus. No, sorry, Patreon. The logbook has a new Patreon. Basically, if you like what the logbook does, the ever-expanding site, the monthly and in some cases daily podcasts, and the book spinoffs from both, you can help us keep going by becoming our patron at Patreon. There are goodies in it for you from access to show notes, to trading cards, to even having me do voice work for you. And you get to help me and the logbook do what we do every night, trying to take over the world and turn it into a great big geekosphere. Thanks, as always, for listening, for your feedback, and for your support. Power Lords! It's Rescue Warriors! I am Lord Power, leader of the Lords! Riptog and Lagos are attacking! We must help Psyduck defend Balkan Rock! Power Lord! Riptog has four fists! Psyduck is finished! It's Lord Power! He zapped Riptog's head! But Arcus has Psyduck! <laughs> Power Lords! And empower Psyduck, Griptog, and Arcus are each sold separately from the Power Lords collection, new from Ravel. Ah, the late 70s and early 80s. The boom years of the video game industry. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Let's change that. I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them back in the day, and we'll see if those games hold up today. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. Welcome back to Select Game, the logbook.com's Odyssey 2 podcast. Sync sound, multi-mode, whatever you like, we've got it. Not much news to report this month on the Odyssey 2 front. We're still awaiting the imminent release of the 50-foot-tall stalk of celery, which I've talked about in previous episodes, and I'll talk about it in a little bit more detail. We'll probably play that sooner rather than later. Because I I have a little bit of involvement with that one. We're going to kind of jump the timeline, as they say over on the Mission Log podcast. I'm borrowing their phrase there. And we're going to kind of get out of the timeline of things in the order that I bought them. Because I I really think we've kind of... We've gone down that road as far as we can... And and have it make sense in the podcast. It's time to just talk games. You know, let's talk good games. Let's talk bad games. Let's find a theme that smooshes two games together that you might not normally think of in the same breath. And this month we are talking about comic book heroes of sorts. First, let's talk Power Lords. Power Lords originated in 1983 as an action figure line from Ravel, which was a company better known for model kits, but it was trying to break into the then very lucrative action figure market. The Power Lords characters that Ravel produced action figures of were based on character designs by Wayne Barlow. Now, I need to explain the significance of that. Wayne Barlow was the illustrator and co-author of Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials, which was a Hugo-nominated 1979 book depicting alien species 
from various pieces of literary sci-fi. There were entries on beings from works such as Frank Herbert's Dune, John Christopher's Tripods Trilogy, which was always a personal favorite of mine, At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood End, Childhood's End, Larry Niven's Known Space Books, and the Lensman series. It was quite a big deal to have Wayne Barlow design a bunch of completely original alien characters for your action figure line. Now, it was a big deal from a marketing perspective in terms of, oh, look, we spared no expense at this. Kids at the time were probably... I had a copy of Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials, okay? I am the only kid who was still a kid in the early part of the 80s who had that book. <laughs> I, was, I was weird and, as always, just a little bit ahead of my time. Now, why bother to go to the expense of having such a renowned illustrator create your character designs? Well, it was because at the time, in 1983, toy lines launching successful transmedia franchises were a thing. And to tell you all you need to know about that, all you have to consider is that the other, the other big thing happening on the toy front... Actually, Power Lords was not a big thing happening on the toy front. The big thing happening on the toy front in 1983 was a little property called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And there were many, many attempts to launch similar franchises that started out as toy lines and then spread into other media. And there were just as many failures to catch lightning in a bottle the way that Masters of the Universe did. Now, this trend kind of reached ahead in 1987 with a TV show called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which is a case where the, the toy line was crap, but the TV show was actually good. It was a live-action show, but it was kind of violent. And it got into things like the ethics of war because about one-third of the scripts were written by J. Michael Straczynski, who would go on to create Babylon 5. In fact, the first time in television that Babylon 5 was ever mentioned was in a throwaway line of dialogue on Captain Power. Anyway, you know, more science fiction pedigree that failed to save this practice of deliberately trying to turn a toy line into a transmedia franchise. The Captain Power... There were complaints about Captain Power, which has nothing to do with Power Lords. I'm just kind of going through the, you know, the history of the, the toy and cartoon connection here. The complaints over Captain Power basically being a half-hour toy commercial actually went as far as going to the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission in the United States, for arbitration. And in the wake of that, there were some, there were some rules that seriously clamped down on what you might term the He-Man effect. Sadly, however, or... Yeah, perhaps not, because it was pretty thin on the ground plot-wise. Power Lords, as a toy line, just really didn't have the the plot set up that He-Man and the Masters of the Universe did. Power Lords involved Adam Power, who was capable of transforming into Lord Power. 
He had allies such as Shia, Queen of Power, and Sidot the Supreme, and they faced off against the evil forces of Arcus, who was a dictatorial evil overlord. You know the type. I mean, change the colors on the character, and basically he's Darth Vader. Arcus had minions such as Raygoth, Goon of Doom, Griptog, the Four-Fisted Brute, Torque, the Turning Terror. I actually think I got driving lessons from Torque. Disguisor, the Deadly Deceiver, and the Three-Legged Trigor. Now, incidentally, Power Lords is not dead. There are new Power Lords toys being made, or at least they were made a few years ago. A small toy studio called Four Horsemen Studios created new versions of the characters in 2013. They still have them up for order. I'll post a link on the show page. You can get brand new Power Lords merch. Uh, you can get brand new figures for 15 to 20 bucks. They have t-shirts. Uh, one thing they don't have is a repro of the Odyssey 2 game. Sorry. But if you are... Uh, if you have a copy of Power Lords for the Odyssey 2 and you're looking for some merch to show off next to it, uh, just follow the link on the show page and you can go get you some. Power Lords itself is rather easier to get. Archive.org now has a repository of Odyssey 2 cartridge binaries you can go download to your heart's content. Somehow, I really doubt Philips either the North American operation or the Netherlands mothership is going to blink an eye about those things being on archive.org. There were a few other spinoffs of Power Lords, including a very short-lived, I think it was three or four issues, DC Comics had it. Very short-lived comic book, sort of expounding on the plot line behind the figures, and again using Barlow's character designs as the springboard for the characters. And there were also things like jigsaw puzzles, board games. I have never personally seen the board game. I mean, I haven't even seen pictures of it on the internet. I don't know if it's any fun as a board game. I don't know if it's as good as the video game. Because here's the thing, Power Lords as a video game is, is fun. It's a lot of fun. This is a real rarity. Uh, I kind of had a a previous life as a game collector, which is how I came to own a copy of Power Lords, which is how I came to own a copy of a lot of things, many of which I have now divested myself of. But the there's sort of a Venn diagram of rare and fun. In the middle of that Venn diagram is where you will find Power Lords for the Odyssey 2. Because it is, you know, it's that extremely rare specimen of a rare game that you, you get it, you admire it, you pop it into the cartridge slot of the console for which it is intended, and so help me, it's actually fun. At least I think it's fun. Power Lords has the dubious distinction of being the final Odyssey 2 title released in North America. And quite possibly, the, the final first-party Odyssey 2 title released in North America. I am not sure where Atlantis and Demon Attack from Imagic fall in the release timeline relative to Power Lords. It is also the last released first-party Odyssey 2 game programmed by Ed Averett. 
So now that we've talked about Power Lords, let's scoot over here and play Power Lords. Alright, there's a volcano and there's a snake. And I just crashed, I've got the wrong joystick. Okay, let's do this again. Alright, I am in the power sled. I am Adam Power. Although I really don't fess up to that very often. There are lava bombs falling from the sky. And there's a giant snake sitting on top of a volcano. Oh, and I blew up. It's interesting to note that the score display at the... Yeah, I died. The score display at the bottom of the screen on this game is very unlike your standard uh, Challenger series game. Because you have you have room basically for two initials. The scoring on this is also very dissimilar to your standard Odyssey 2 releases because it's it's something that's much more in line with what you would expect from from an, a, an Odyssey 2 game is normally kind of low scoring, which is a decision that they they seem to have collectively made among the programmers that... And I, I talked to Bob Harris about this once, that he greatly disliked the, the arcade's tendency to, you know, put things in multiples of thousands, which he thought was ridiculous. He wanted to, you know, have the highest score that you could attain for a single thing in one of his games to be something like three, and the management overruled him because, you know, that's no one's going to want to play a game where you can get a top score of three, Bob. So this is more like the, the game that I just played before this one. Okay, that one I got 285 points, my highest scoring game while I've been sitting here playing and talking about things other than the game I'm playing. Oh, was 2074, which is quite a score on an Odyssey 2 game. Okay, so we have the giant snake sitting on top of the volcano. You can shoot it to your heart's content. It really won't affect anything. Now, within the volcano, there appear... Oh, the volcano is erupting. Within the volcano, there appear uh, flashing white things, which I believe are gravity vortexes or something along those lines, which actually begin to draw your ship in if you don't shoot them. So that is really your, your main target in the game, is to shoot those vortexes. The snake can fire lasers at you, with its eyes, as giant volcano snakes often do. I mean, it's, you can't really stop them. Lava bombs, they're really your biggest threat. And the snake only fires at you every so often. The lava bombs are coming down at you all the time. However, the snake did shoot me that time, but my score on that round was 4,996, baby. Too bad, too bad. Probably the highest score I've ever gotten on a game on this console, right there, and you were listening to it. Shooting the snake won't destroy it, it just kind of stuns it. It sits there and does this kind of silly, spastic, jittery motion. But the whole time you're shooting at the snake, you're shooting uselessly at the snake, I should reiterate, there's still lava bombs coming at you, and while you're shooting, you're not moving. 
Now, you can fly across the volcano, but you've got a real good shot at being destroyed by the snake that way. Case in point. It's a fairly fast-moving little game. The graphics are... By Odyssey 2 standards, it's... I don't want to promote a double standard for the Odyssey 2, okay? Odyssey 2 graphics are primitive at best. Obviously, when the volcano is erupting, you want to stay away from the volcano. But you can shoot the dripping lava that flows down the side of the volcano. I just wouldn't recommend uh, being terribly close to the volcano when you do that. I'm very interested in volcanoes, but I'm really not that fascinated by this one because it's made of black squares. The graphics on this are pretty decent by Odyssey 2 standards. The snake is a custom character. The sled is sort of a mashup of, of your typical Odyssey 2 sprites. There are mountains in the background. And like I said, the volcano is made of... It's, it's squares. It's a bunch of black squares. It's kind of a... It's not so much a volcano. It's more like a ziggurat. And the, the lava bombs and black holes, those are your typical Odyssey 2... I, I don't want to say circle, but they're kind of the, the ball. The explosion, whenever your ship blows up, is uh, pretty much exactly the same explosion, including the sound of your ship exploding in Attack of the Time Lord, or if you're, a, if you're in Europe, the uh, Attack of the Time Lord was known as Terrahawks. That game. Oh yeah, that game. So there you have it, Power Lords for the Odyssey 2. It's worth noting that Power Lords was programmed for the ColecoVision as well as the Odyssey 2, and it was going to be released. It was never actually officially released, but a prototype was found. It appears to be um, slightly incomplete. However, it is far more expansive as a game than the Odyssey 2 version was because simply the ColecoVision could handle more. The ColecoVision game duplicates the, you know, the volcano and power sled stage, which is basically the whole game on the Odyssey 2. But the ColecoVision, you can land the power sled and go underground into sort of a first-person perspective through these catacombs that I suppose are where Arcus has his evil secret base, or his secret evil base. I'm not sure what is more important to Arcus, being secret or being evil. He needs to write in and tell me. So, the Power Lords that was created for the ColecoVision was going to be marketed under the Probe 2000 banner, which was not really a separate company, but it was a new imprint that North American Philips started up to create games for other consoles than the Odyssey 2. Probe 2000 did release one game for the ColecoVision, which was Bob Harris's War Room. And that was the extent of Probe 2000 releasing anything. On the, on the books, in the planning stages, on the drawing board, Probe 2000 was going to release Pink Panther for the Atari 2600, a game which has proven quite elusive. I don't believe there's even a ROM out there after all these years. And yet a cartridge... A prototype is known to exist. 
and someone has it. And Pink Panther was also going to be released as a first-party title for the Odyssey 2. It is not known if that game got into the prototype stage. Another game that never made it out of the prototype stage was Spider-Man. Now, Spider-Man was to be released in Europe and probably South America, as was the pattern, by Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers released games for the video pack, which was the European version of the Odyssey 2, which were arcade ports to which they had the rights. And generally, these were games that had already appeared on the Atari 2600. Spider-Man by Parker Brothers was a completely original game. It was not an arcade port. It was simply based on the comic book character created in... 1962 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. I probably don't want to detour too much down the history of Spider-Man here, or else this becomes a completely different podcast. Needless to say, there have been countless comics, cartoons, movies, and my personal favorite, because I've actually been watching it recently for a book project that I am kicking myself for embarking on, it was an absolutely horrible live-action series on CBS around 1977-78 that, um, yeah, it was bad. The funny thing is, my first exposure to Spider-Man was live-action, but not on that show. It was in the early 1970s because he would show up as a little segment of the PBS children's show, The Electric Company. And so that was... That was my first exposure to Spider-Man. Also, uh, fairly distant from the <laughs> the approved origin story. Now, Parker Brothers did release Spider-Man in the United States for the Atari 2600, but it never got around to releasing it for the video pack. This game probably would have come out in late 1983, by which time, of course, the video game market had gone into... Some combination of meltdown and freefall, you know, whatever, you know, whatever word, whatever portmanteau word formed from two other words that describes a disaster, you can basically apply it to the video game industry in 1983 because you had had far too many third party software makers jump on bandwagons trying to jump on the bandwagon, basically trying to service the Atari 2600 crowd, which it seemed, you know, hey, they'll buy E.T. These people will buy anything. And it turns out that wasn't true. E.T. was just the tip of the iceberg. The prototype for Spider-Man was discovered in Europe by... I am going to regret trying to pronounce this gentleman's name. Baz Cornellenslipper? And it was released in March 2006. Now, it's kind of funny. I went back looking for the... (laughs) I went back looking for the release date of the limited run of this game that Baz made available. And I found it in the form of (laughs) a post that I wrote on the digital press forums back in 2006. So thank you, me from the past, for assisting in my research. Baz originally released 60 copies of Spider-Man in the video pack style box. I, I, I talk a lot, I wax rhapsodic about the Odyssey 2 cartridge packaging, which is sort of this book-style cardboard enclosure, which is, it's made to be kept. 
the the box is as much of a collector's item as the cartridge, and the box protects the cartridge. And you didn't have to destroy the box to get to the cartridge, unlike, you know, everything released for the 2600. So, yeah, most of the boxes sitting on my shelf are the boxes that I originally had as a kid. Now, when we're talking about Video Pack, boy, they upped the game even more because they, they had these plastic molded cases, usually with a black tray holding the cartridge and a sort of swing-up transparent plastic lid which would contain the manual. So really, the manual was the box art and so was the case with this release of reproductions of the prototype of Spider-Man. There were 60 copies and the cover artwork used was from the 2002 Spider-Man movie which was the first one starring Tobey Maguire. Now, I've talked before about how I have done artwork for various Odyssey 2 releases, for homebrew releases, and so on. I created a small mock-up of an Odyssey 2-style box or manual cover for an NTSC release of Spider-Man, not knowing that Baz had already taken the precaution of allocating a certain number of the cartridges to be the NTSC conversion that American and Canadian Odyssey 2 owners could procure. The rest of them would be PAL for the European market. And so my cover artwork wasn't needed, and so it was just sort of one of those little fun detours that I whipped up. Oh, look, here's an Odyssey 2 box that doesn't exist. The funny thing was, a year or two later, and I don't believe it was Baz, I believe it was someone else, was going to do another reproduction run, and they contacted me about this artwork. And I warned them, okay, now, this was a mock-up. It was pretty small. It's probably not big enough to... It's probably not big enough to use for what you have in mind. And... My mock-up also used images from the 2002 movie. And as it turns out, it uh, it was too low-resolution for them to use. And the graphics had originally come from something I used at work where one of my functions was as a graphic designer as part of my production job in television and I got the images off of something a service called AP Graphics Bank and you know probably not what I was supposed to be using AP Graphics Bank for at work so I uh I don't know that they would have had the rights to use any of that anyway. I will, however, include that Odyssey 2 Spider-Man mock-up on the show page for your amusement. The video pack version was based very closely on the Atari 2600 Spider-Man card that Parker Brothers released in the U.S. That game was programmed by Laura Nikolich with sound by David Lampkins. However, on the video pack version, there is no known programmer credit because the game, despite apparently being complete, was never actually released. Parker Brothers did release four arcade ports for the Odyssey 2. Actually, these actually made it to market. They were Popeye, Frogger, Cubert, and Super Cobra. And we'll cover all four of those at a later date. Now, Spider-Man was one of three further titles that were announced, but were never officially released. So a prototype of Spider-Man, of Spider-Man, excuse me, was 
discovered and released as a reproduction. The prototype for Tutankham was discovered and released. I believe that one was released by uh, Dieter Koenig in Austria. And, however, the third one on this list of Parker Brother games for the Odyssey 2 that was never released just blows my mind. I'm just going to read the title off to you. Sit there in your mind's eye and try to picture how this would have worked on the Odyssey 2. Star Wars the Arcade Game. Now, I love Star Wars the Arcade Game in arcade form. The Atari 2600 game... Yeah, it was on the outside edge of acceptable. It was really clunky and really flickery. I can't even imagine the Odyssey 2 pulling off a first-person cockpit shooter more complex than Cosmic Conflict, which we talked about last month. And something on the level of Star Wars the arcade game, I just can't picture it. The Parker games were released only in Europe and South America, chiefly in Brazil. There was no American release of any of these games. However, you can still play them. If you have an Odyssey 2 and you, you are dead set on having an original Parker Brothers cartridge in the box, you want to try to get a hold of the Brazilian versions because the video standard that they operate on, and I believe it was called PAL-M, was close enough to NTSC for an Odyssey 2 to play it without the screen being completely scrambled. PAL versions, you were kind of kind of had a crapshoot. The PAL version of Cubert and I believe Super Cobra, the PAL versions of those will play on an Odyssey 2. You can see them, you can play them. It looks the way it's supposed to look. Frogger and Popeye, you have to get the Brazilian versions. They can also, uh, Spider-Man and Power Lords, incidentally, can also be found on the Odyssey 2 multi-cart from packratvg.com. And as I mentioned before with Power Lords, archive.org now has a repository of Odyssey 2 binaries, including Spider-Man, and I will include a link on the show page. But right now, true believers, with great power comes great responsibility, and I have a responsibility to play Spider-Man on the Odyssey 2. It plays the song! That's cool. There's an, there's an animated intro screen. Basically, if you know the setup on Spider-Man for the Atari 2600, then you know that I just died. I, I really suck at this game, no matter the platform, I hate to tell you. This is not going to be a case where I am playing a world-class game of Spider-Man. You are Spider-Man. You are a little red humanoid figure. Not the usual Odyssey 2 humanoid, though. That's worth noting. You're a uh, red humanoid figure climbing a building. You use your action button to shoot your web. In case you were wondering, how do I shot web? That is how you shot web. <laughs> you then let off the action button in order to haul yourself up, basically. The length of the web that you have shot. Once you, uh... If you are falling, you can shoot the web and try to catch yourself. It is best simply 
and I died somehow. Well, that was painful. My high score on that. It's interesting to note that we were talking about Power Lords kind of breaking the mold that had been established in the Odyssey 2 Challenger series by uh, allowing you only two initials, you know, basically first and last initial, instead of the usual six-character next to the score that had been the standard since UFO. With this game, even though it is not a Philips game, it uses... It uses that standard that had been established in the Challenger series on the Odyssey 2. That's really, really interesting. And it's not even a first-party title, so it's not like they're... It's not like they're reusing code. I, however, it may have been a former Philips employee who did reuse code. Since we don't actually know who programmed the thing. Here's the Green Goblin at the top of the screen. Once you get uh, high enough on the building, you... Uh, you get to a sort of scaffolding area. And there are bombs on there, on the scaffolding. And Green Goblin is floating around at the top of the building. Going back and forth on his... It looks like he's on Jabba's party skiff. And it looks like I died. I achieved a score of zero. Thus passes the Spider-Man. So that's it for this month's installment of Select Game Comic Book Heroes, featuring Power Lords and Spider-Man. Uh, for those of you wondering how Popeye failed to make the cut in this particular theme, it will be in a later show probably with the other Parker Brothers games, principally because I view Popeye as an arcade port first and a comic book game second. That, and I just wasn't sure where either Power Lords or Spider-Man would fit if I didn't pair them with one another. Now, you may recall earlier I mentioned that Magic was the only third-party software vendor during the Odyssey 2's sales lifetime to roll out games for the Odyssey 2 in the U.S. And that is what we are going to be talking about in next month's installment of Select Game. We will be playing Demon Attack and Atlantis on the Odyssey 2, finding out if they hold up next to their counterparts on other consoles. Until then, thanks for listening as always. As you heard at the beginning of the show, thelogbook.com now has a Patreon, so if you like Select Game or the other podcasts that thelogbook.com produces, if you like the books that are spun off from the site's content, if you like the site itself, heck, if you just like me, I mean, 
I'm really not going to judge. Not my kink, but there you go. <laughs> we have a Patreon account set up to help support what we do. And we thank everyone for listening. We thank everyone for their support and for their feedback. And we'll see you next time on Select Game. That's all the time we have for the Select Game podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and throwbacknetwork.net. And you can also subscribe through the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash selectgame. If you really dig Select Game, also check out the 365-day-a-year escape pod geek history podcast at thelogbook.com. And donations toward the site's upkeep are always gladly accepted at PayPal, or via my Amazon wish lists. You can also support the podcast by buying select game t-shirts and other goodies at redbubble.com. Look under user the logbook. Phosphor.fossils, a comprehensive timeline of the golden era of video games, including the Odyssey 2, can be downloaded at thelogbook.com, which is also where you can find the books I've written about Doctor Who, Fork 1 and Fork 2. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at thelogbook.com. Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green. Music performed by Kasatochi, available for free download at thelogbook.com.